It's good to have you here. Um, I know we've got uh, some visitors uh, today with a lot of colleges starting back. I know Faulkner. Uh, we had freshmen that moved in Friday and uh, upperclassmen were able to come in yesterday. So it's been a little bit different on Faulkner's schedule of uh, having a move-in day on a Friday and then uh, this short amount of time for people to come through. So if you're visiting, uh, we're excited that you're here. Family, uh, you're always welcome here as normal. Uh, for those that this is your first time, we're glad that you decided to be at Dalreda. Um, I know for the a lot of the students and the freshmen that moved in, they have a, a service over at Faulkner this morning. And so we'll start all of our normal college stuff back. Uh, on Wednesday, so that'll be a kickoff for our college ministry. So for our students that are in here, if you want to pass the word for that, um, just know that's going to be going on. Um, we'll have some more announcements uh, when we all get back in here together, but I did want to make one announcement about the door greeters. If you are interested in being a door greeter, now this requires a lot of work, okay? It's standing in a foyer and welcoming people as they come through the door. It's very easy. Um, and you have a smile on your face, and you get to meet new people that you normally wouldn't meet. Uh, I can't tell you when I first started doing some of the door greeting, coming in this door right here. I always come in this door or this door, and so when I was greeting here, I met new members I'd never met before that were part of the congregation on this side. And so uh, if you would like to be a door greeter, uh, there is a sign-up sheet in the West Foyer. Uh, we would love to have you to be a part of that. Um, even if you think uh, that, that's something I've done before and it just wasn't really my thing, Try it again. Uh, if you haven't done it and you want to meet some new members uh, or have a chance to meet visitors as they come through, please be a part of that. Uh, they're really in need of help right now, so it's not just a, uh, you know, everybody's just swarming to do it. We'd love if that's the case, but we do need some helpers. And so if there's anyone in here that would like to be a door greeter out in the West Foyer, there's a sign-up sheet, or you can see Scotty, and he will make sure to get you placed. And so uh, if you have any interest in that at all, please be a part of that. Before we begin our class, uh, let's have a word of prayer. Lord our God, we come before you and we thank you for another day of uh, a chance to be in your creation. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here together, to study your word, to think about our lives and the lives around us and how we can take your words uh, into our hearts and into the world. Pray that you'll be with us as we go throughout our lives, that you will bless us, you'll guide us, be with us as a church as we seek opportunities to spread your word. We thank you for Jesus, and we pray this to you in his name. Amen. So we are continuing our study, um, thinking about Christian ethics and uh, different components of it. Uh, last week, I was out of town, and Cody Poe was in here and taught and did a fantastic job. I went back and listened to uh, his uh, presentation on thinking about capital punishment as we did Part A and Part B. Did a fantastic job. If it was up to me, I'd rather just have him come in here and teach the remainder of the class or just start the whole quarter over again. He did a really good job in that. Uh, he's one of those really analytical people and thinks systematically. And so it's like even if you're having a texting conversation with him, he's going to give you our premise one, premise two, conclusion. And it's like every one of his conversations go the same way. But I appreciate what he said and some of the challenges he brought out last week um, bringing in the biblical side of capital punishment. So I hope that you enjoyed that. I hope it was a blessing. If you didn't listen to it, if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and uh, listen to that um, or go and watch the video as well. You can listen to the audio file or go back on YouTube and see that. Now, as our study is continuing on, as we're thinking about Christian ethics, um, coming to a conclusion. So uh, next week is the last week. Uh, we will have a guest speaker in here. And when I figure out his name, I will let you know because I will be in the college section um, down the hallway. 
But that's going to be just kind of a wrap-up um, and conclusion to where we've been and uh, even bringing a couple of new things there. So uh, this, this quarter has gone by very quickly, and I appreciate you guys and the opportunity that I've had to teach you and to be a part of uh, the auditorium class. This is my first one teaching in here. It's the first time teaching in here, so I appreciate uh, this opportunity, and I look forward to more of them. But with that being said, uh, I do want to jump into our topic. Uh, we're going to try and cover all of it in one session today. And just thinking about Christian ethics and economics, um, money. What do we do with it? Um, all the money that we wish that we had, what would we desire to do with it? How do we operate in this world, um, in, in our jobs? Uh, that's the big thing, is that all these things that we've been talking about, some of them are just you know big moral issues when you're talking about capital punishment or abortion, things like that. Uh, some of the stuff that we're going to deal with today is right in our face because it has to do with everyday decisions when it comes to our jobs, uh, when it comes to what uh, we do to gather money and how do we use that. And so that's where we're going to be. I'm going to keep reiterating this as long as I can, uh, that this is the path that we're going on. When we talk about Christian ethics, trying to make the right decision. A lot of stuff, we're just going to go to the top tier, top rung discussion. What does scripture have to say? I mean, that's absolutely important. We want to know what has God said about a particular topic. Akin to that is what has God written within our moral code, on our hearts and our minds, that there's something that we as humans respond to, that we look at certain things, say, that's right, that's wrong, that's good, that's bad. I shouldn't deal with that. I should deal with that. We have this pull within us. It's a, a moral code. Those two things are top rung decisions. That's on the far right of this chart. But before you get there, if you're just trying to help someone or you're trying to work through what should I do, how do I make the right decision, you're wanting to go to the top rung, but there's some other steps that you can take along the way that'll help. The first one, is it legal? Um, you know, that's a good test, especially when we're going to get into business ethics. If it's illegal, guess what you should do? Stay away from it. That makes common sense. Um, of course, we'll interject in there if it's a big moral issue or any moral issue at all. If the, the law is different than the Scripture, we're going to go with Scripture every time. We know that. Romans 13 gives us precedent on that. So not trying to mess that up. But then as you're just building up these decisions, all right, if I'm trying to decide what to do in the workplace, is it legal? Okay, then I keep going. Um, but then you also want to think about your virtues. What kind of person are you? When we deal with the workplace, we have already started setting up a personality and a persona and a observable worker, whether it comes from a boss uh, or a co-worker, we've already identified who we're going to be in our job. Uh, people are going to see that. And so when you deal with virtue ethics, there's going to be a certain label that's attached to you in your job. doesn't matter what position that is, whether you're a student, uh, all the way up to a top tier CEO or whatever that may be, that there is uh, an, an observable characteristic about you. And people have already labeled us in a certain way. Oh, they're really, you know, they're a hard worker or they're loyal. They're honest. They're going to shoot straight with you. Uh, they're not going to take off any corners. They're going to do the best job that they can. They're going to be ethical. They're going to be moral. Um, those kind of labels. But then we also have on the other side, people may look at us in our jobs, in our schooling and think, hmm, they're kind of lazy. They do take, you know, they cut off some corners. Uh, they don't always put out the best product. They don't do the best job that they can. And sadly, some of us have been on the receiving end of whether it's, you know, uh, admonition or whether it's losing a job because of whatever a decision may be uh, or knowing somebody that's close to us that was affected in an adverse way because of some of our decisions. You know, this, it just goes beyond 
is it legal? We have to start thinking, what kind of person do I want to be? And what do people think about me? A good test is, all right, if I were to do this same thing, and if everyone else in my workforce did the same thing that I'm doing, would it be a good place to work? Would this be a good business? Would people want to run from it or would they want to run to it? And then you just go out a little further. You know, what, what really must I do? What are my obligations to truth and righteousness? Um, but then you think about what if everyone did this on a larger scale? All right, so that's our ladder. That's what we're working through is we're going to go through these topics. I found this quote, and I want to see what you thought about it. Um, Business operates without much of a moral compass. Greed is their overriding principle. And this is just a general characterization of work in general or business in general. What would you say from your personal experience or what you've noticed do you see a lot of unethical and immoral decisions happening within business? And if so, what would be some of them? What are some things that you've seen? So uh, George mentioned that you look at the longevity of a, a business. Those that are good businesses are going to do things. They're going to seek the opportunity to make things right. Um, you mentioned customer service. Man, we just have stories all day long about customer service. <laughs> and uh, but you know, a business that's going to that's going to last longer, they're going to do things right. Business that's failing, they might have taken the wrong kind of steps. Um, so a comparison there. Okay, what else? So, yeah, um, uh, Bill was talking about uh, being a general contractor and the comparison of other businesses that are out there that, you know, not taking this to, to just lump every business together because that's not the case and running a, a good business and having good people that work for you, um, that's important. 
And sadly, though, you have those businesses that do things unethically or immorally or just not <laughs> right at all, and they kind of, you know, poison the well for other people. Um, and one of the things that you mentioned was um, people have even made comments, you know, don't hire members from the church. And that's sad that somebody would say something like that, but then why? Because a few have failed or they didn't do the best that they could? What exactly? Um, and, and there's a lot that goes into that, but I appreciate your perspective coming from uh, your standpoint that you're absolutely right, that there are good businesses. And, and that is something that just to consider for a moment, we have some excellent people in here that have run businesses for a number of years, uh, retired from that, whatever that may be, and have made a good name for the church. Um, you can't always say that about everyone, but I know looking around here just in this class, uh, the amount of respect that I have of Christians that want to do things correctly and want to do things right, even when others are doing it wrong in the same field. And so I appreciate that. Yes. So uh, what Jim is saying is thinking about um, this last phrase, greed is the overriding principle in business. Um, where does a positive view of ambition and uh, prosperity, when do you cross over from there to greed? And how does it get mischaracterized? Um, and I mean, that's important to consider. What does greed really look like? I mean, we could spend that whole class period just thinking about how would you classify greed. You know, if you're going to put it on a scale, you know, when you tip over on one side, then you're greedy. How do you judge that? How do you gauge that? Paul has a pretty good test. Uh, it talks about idolatry and greed going together. And what does that have to say? And so uh, some good points from there. Yes. Absolutely. Businesses are composed of individuals. Um, and that's absolutely right. And so when we talk about, you know, businesses operate in this way and greed is this way, well, we're really wanting to deal with individuals in these jobs. How are we acting? And we can point fingers all day long and say, oh, they did this, they did this, you know, but we got to think about ourselves uh, and what we're trying to teach and what we're trying to be, that virtue ethic, who am I and things I will never do. 
job that you take. And I took this job when I retired from Captain Clark. Captain Chevrolet, he, he asked for a manager. I didn't know if I ever wanted to retire. I tell a lot of the trucks, you have a place for me. But when I went in to interview and talk with him, I, the first question I asked him was, do you have to tell a lie to sell a car? And he said, he said no, sir. He said, if you ever do to anybody, organization for them I sell cars for them. Let me know. So you know he did. Well that's that's the way the situation works. Now I'm sure now in other business as a customer. We don't have great customers either in other words. Some of them think I'm supposed to be guilty of that I don't know. And that's not the way it is over there to make it make it profit. If you don't make a profit you wouldn't be there long. Okay. Wayne was talking about yeah Wayne was talking about being a car uh, salesman um, that when he was interviewing, he said, do I have to tell a lie to sell a car? Uh, and the guy said, if you ever do, you're out of here. Uh, and so wanting to be that kind of right person. Um, but also you think about customers that come in, they're wanting the best deal or they're wanting, uh, you know, to essentially rob you if they had the, you know, uh, an opportunity like that. And you, so you have this two way street of how do I be a good person while dealing maybe with bad people and, and Wayne said, you know, he had somebody that would come in and they just wanted to keep messing up everything. He said he'd just take the paperwork and just put it in the drawer and he said he was done with it. So uh, you think about this, though, and how um, businesses run. And this is all coming down on us. What do we do in our businesses, in our way of life? Um, let's add to this a little bit more um, and think about some opportunities that people may have to do things um, in unethical ways. Uh, here are some things that I've found, um, some list of some problems that may come up and how can we avoid them. You know, outsourcing domestic jobs. I, when you look at ethical dilemmas, that's a lot of the things that people will say is, you know, how to, if you really want to run a business or you want to be a good person, how do you uh, keep your workers doing what they need to do um, how do you help those that are in your midst and what do you do when it comes to outsourcing? Um, but making uh, products that are unethical. You know, you read in the news about all these recalls. I don't think it's intentional that a product goes out there and they're like, I'm going to make this really bad so that uh, I saw a, a coffee maker that it was one of those plunge coffee makers that uh, the plastic was breaking off the top of it and people were lacerating their hands. I don't know what was actually going on, but I could just see a you know, big puncture wound coming through the hand. You know, it's not the intention of a business to do that, but could they have done things differently? But it was a recall. On it. We see recalls all the time, and, you know, we can't just say, well, you know, they tried to cut a corner or whatever. But if a product is made and they know that it has a fault in it, do you try and cover that up? Um, but then you go even further, you know, that goes to product safety. Um, Marketing and advertising. You want to be honest about what you're selling, whatever your product may be. You want to be honest about it. You don't want to um, to lie about its quality or what it's able to do. You know things like that. Um, issues in sales. Uh, Wayne made a point to that. 
uh, right to private, uh, privacy. So if you are a teacher, uh, HIPAA laws and everything in the medical field too, um, right to privacy, you don't have to be just a counselor to have to deal with that. Um, do we breach privacy laws? Um, sexual harassment, fairness, um, accurate disclosure of information. These are all things that you may see and you may actually be associated with at some point because of your job. Not that you were doing it, but you might be posed with opportunity of, should I say something or should I not? Should I remain here or should I leave? And that's scary when, you know, you might have been in a job for a number of years and you're thinking about how to provide for your family and you think, hmm, I'm just going to turn a blind eye. Is that the right thing to do? Um, we could probably go around the room and just talk about scenarios, having talked to some of you in here, being pressed with things like that. Um, we all know that these things happen, but what kind of person do we want to be in the midst of it? We may rationalize them, and you may not be able to see this. And if you can't read it, I apologize. Um, I, I thought this was a really neat um, list of ways that we rationalize decisions. Um, one of them, and I'll just gonna go through on the, the far right side of it, what we may say to cover up stuff. I was just following orders. It doesn't really hurt anyone. She should have known better or he had it coming. We all don't share the same ethics. I want to be loyal or the system just isn't fair. But think of all the good he has done in the past. That's the only way to get it done. Everyone else does it, or if we don't, someone else will. I didn't mean to hurt anybody. It's a gray area. It's not so bad by comparison. We'll wait until the lawyers tell us it's wrong. Or maybe we're just smoothing over earnings. Um, you know, these are rationalizations, and you can look at the technical terms to go along with them. But have you ever heard those phrases? And we won't ask this one, but have you ever uttered some of those phrases? Um, what are some of your observations from this list? What does it make you think of when it comes to being a good, moral, ethical person in the workplace? Any comments on these? So yeah, as an employee, you would want to go to your uh, your boss and, and and mention these things, and the boss should be able to stop it right there and for it to be done. So it all 
employees have to be uh, trained so that, you know, if they go against what that upper management says, give them, here, here are our standards. And if you don't meet them, then that is, you know, they're going to have a problem, right? Likely being employed. So that's just my opinion, but it all mm -hmm. focuses down to attitudes of the top of the That's a really good point. He said that... Um, Whoever's at the top, that those that follow will have similar um, ideals. Um, if you have a good moral person, then other will want to work for them and be a part of that. You look at Chick-fil-A. Um, you know, they have really good food, but they also run a really good business. Um, and that's why they're succeeding. And, you know, if you take that model, and it's very interesting, uh, if you deal with, like, um, in ministry, we have this in our ministry classes, and, I, and I've said this uh, to our college students, um, and you think about it this way, a group of followers will look like their leader. That's the same thing in a ministry, whether you're dealing with a particular minister or an eldership. You look at the dynamic of a church, they're going to look like their leadership, right? Because you want to be a part of that. Um, now, ideally, where does our leadership go to? Of course, the Lord. That's why when we go to the top rung discussions, what we were talking about, I want to look like God. What would God do if he were posed with a situation like this? That's where my mandate comes from, my authority in everything that I do in my marriage, in my job, in my school, in my relationships. We think, what would God want out of this? What kind of um, you know, principles does he have that I'm trying to apply? That's where we've been all quarter. And if you've missed out on those discussions, uh, I encourage you to, to study in that a little bit more. Because that principle that we see in the workforce comes directly from God. Think about the passages. Um, and I'll have this one listed, but let's go to... Um, Let's go to Ephesians. I'll get there in a second. Ephesians chapter 5. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, you think about a, a secretary and confidentiality, a secretary for a church. Um, you see a lot of things, um, you know, privacy and stuff like that. Um, so, yeah, you know, all those things. Um, let's think about, I, I told you Ephesians. Uh, let's go to Colossians instead. Sorry, just flip over one. Uh, Colossians chapter uh, 3, verse 22. One of the things that Paul does, and he does in a couple of his other books, Ephesians is one of them. Uh, he talks about three main relationships that we face in life that are also that correlate to how we see God. One of those is a parent-child relationship. Um, how we view our parents relates a lot to how we see God as our father. Um, I mean, if you didn't have a good father figure in your life and you read, you know, God is a good father, it's hard for you to picture that. It is. I, I know for a fact that it's hard. So, uh, our relationships that we face in life, they do impact how we see God. The husband and wife relationship, how we want to work together and be together, God says, you know, that's how the church is with Christ and the church. And so we have these earthly relationships that help us see the godly relationship. And one of them uh, that Paul mentions in Colossians chapter 3, verse 22, he's talking about bond servants, and there's some principles in here to, to pull out. He says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, 
not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that the, uh, from the Lord that you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, one of the things I think about in every part of our lives, if I was directly answering to God, do I have a good standing? I mean, that's a good test in and of itself. If you're trying to decide if, you know, God was my, my boss in this situation, would he be pleased with me? Not just by way of eye service, but sincerity of heart. Work heartily for the Lord as for others. Um, and so uh, there's some good things in here that Paul talks about. Um, not just for men, but for God. So as we go into this a little bit deeper, um, keep coming back to passages like this to, to give us some more uh, proper moorings. But let's go on and let's think in Scripture for how we use possessions. So what passages can you talk about? Um, Colossians is a little bit of heads up there. But what are some other verses that come to your mind that teach us how to handle our possessions? Okay, Abraham. Okay, so uh, talking about Abraham. Uh, controlled his riches, the riches didn't control him. Okay, what are some other things that you uh, know of from Scripture about how to handle possessions? Yeah, so making your possessions your God. That becomes your priority. If we're trying to decide what greed is, Paul gives us that little bit of insight, and he tells us that you know, covetousness is idolatry. When our possessions become our God, that's what we want to serve. And go back to the principle that we want to look like what we serve, I think you'll find a good definition of greed in there. Okay, what are some other principles? in Scripture about possessions. Okay. Yep. Don't love the world, nor the things in the world. Maybe you think about this one. Go, sell your possessions, and give to the poor. It's a principle in Scripture, right? So are we doing it? Is this actually what God intended? Go, sell your possessions. So all of our possessions that we've got collectively, put them together, sell them, and then give it to the poor. But we're not doing that. We still have possessions. So have we violated a biblical principle of possessions? Okay, doesn't say all your possessions. Okay, so I'll give a few of them. So uh, this was given to an individual, and it's from Matthew chapter 19 with the rich young ruler. And he comes in, he's having this conversation with Jesus. He's saying, look, all these things I've done, 
uh, talking about following the law. So Jesus looks at him and he says, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor. And he goes away sorrowful because he had many possessions. Um, Jesus was getting into the heart of the matter. He was going through the, the letter of the law, but he was missing the spirit of the law. So when we go back and we think about uh, the Sermon on the Mount and our discussions that we had there, it's not just doing the law. That's important too. These you ought to have been doing as well as the others is what Jesus is going to say in Matthew chapter 23 when he speaks to the Pharisees. Justice and mercy and grace and all those things in there. So as he is speaking to the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19, he's saying it, but there is a principle here. We should give. Um, and thinking about it, feeling like a sacrifice. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 has a lot to say about giving you know, joyously. Um, that's, a, that's important. Here's another one. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. What's the, the principle here when it comes to possessions? What's the context of this passage? Yeah, so uh, Josh is saying that, um, and I think we've mentioned a few times throughout this class, that you think about God's justice. When we deal with morals and ethics, it's an application in justice. Uh, we want a just God, and he's going to hold us accountable to what he says, and I'm excited about that because he's not going to make exceptions. I know exactly what he wants. So God's justice then trickles down to us, and so all these uh, ideals about how to handle our possessions, even back over to the Old Testament, it had to do with justice of taking care of the people around you and doing what you can. Um, absolutely. And now when you think about this one, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. What's the context here? I didn't give you the reference. So what's the context? So the, when the church first began um, in Acts chapter 2, a similar statement to this is made. However, this is from Acts chapter 4 that then reiterates it a number of days down the road. And one of the things that was going on, you had all these people that had swarmed the town because of the Pentecost, um, and you had these converts that were there. They didn't want to leave. They wanted to know more about Christianity. They wanted to stay and listen to the apostles and their teaching. 
they stayed even longer. And so you get back to Acts chapter 4, and that's where you find they're still there, giving their possessions, helping one another. Now, we see this played out a lot. We have people that come to town visiting missionaries, um, been on the receiving end of this uh, just recently about how the church reaches out to one another to help in whatever situation. Uh, I was on the receiving end of a lot of that love just yesterday and my family with a group of men that helped out. It's more than just, I'm going to sell my possessions and, and give them. It's everything that we've got. We're going to take care of one another. That's what's amazing about the church, that it's hard to mimic anywhere else. It's impossible to mimic. The church is going to take care of their own. They're going to do whatever it takes. And we see that all the time. Think about how many of us in this room have been on the receiving end not to pat ourselves on the back on the giving end, but just on the receiving end of love that looks like Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. If there is a need in this congregation, how quickly is it met? How many times have needs been met behind the scenes that we don't even notice? When we talk about giving that's supposed to be a sacrifice, good grief, don't we see that so many times of just people taking care of us? Um, things that people don't even get credit for. Um, this church is amazing. The church in general is amazing, but the body of believers that are here at Dalreda, we see this being lived out uh, constantly. Now, let's continue and uh, go on. It says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. What's the principle that we find here in Paul's statement? The love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. That's a good point, Daniel. He says that it doesn't say money is a root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. Uh, mentioning Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let your life be free from the love of money and be content with what you have. A good little study for you. Go and look in Scripture, in the New Testament. How many times it mentions the word content? And see what you get from there. Some uh, excellent passages, great teachings that are there. But this passage, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. If we want to pursue money, one thing he mentioned, if you want to pursue money, think about someone that works too many hours and family gets neglected. Personal health gets neglected. The church gets neglected. Um, that's one of the most uh, you know, obvious things that I see. A love of money can then root in and cause other issues in our life. Um, and, you know, whether you're just starting out in a position and you're going to be working up, you may think, well, I'm going to have to pull those extra hours to get there. And there's nothing wrong with working. And God wants us to work. That's kind of part of the fall. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, what happens to man? By the sweat of his brow. That's just part of it. When we're outside the garden, we're working. We've got six days of work, but there's a Sabbath rest that's coming. And Hebrews talks about that. While we're here, we work for our Christianity, for our relationship to God. But also, if anyone doesn't provide for his family, then what do you think of him? So uh, the love of money uh, can have some problems. It's the root of all kinds of evils. Um, 
lump them all in there. There's a lot. And last one, uh, and we've mentioned, you can't serve God and money or mammon or the world or possessions, depending on which translation you use in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. So when we talk about principles of possessions um, and how to use them correctly, here's some of them that we got to think about. Um, actual statements coming from Scripture. But when we're trying to be ethical, we're trying to do the right thing, how do we take these and live them out? Uh, in one of our um, classes that's taught to the, the college ministry, um, it circles back around. It's our group of, uh, you've got John and David and Mark. They talk about there's four different ways that you can find in Scripture of how to um, make money. Um, four different ways, and I, I've loved this, and I've put it in here for this purpose. You can have money because somebody gives it to you. Um, Acts chapter 4, 34 and 35. Um, people taking care of us, they may give us money. We can receive money that way because it's a, a, a gift of love. Um, we can receive our wages when we labor and when we work. Second Thessalonians 3, 7 through 8, talking about, you know, Paul, he says, I did everything that I could. I worked so I would not be a burden to anybody. If we're going to get possessions. That's going to be part of it. We're going to have to work for it. We can also trade. Um, Acts chapter 5, verse 1 talks about this. You've got a bad case. You have Ananias and Sapphira that they did trade possessions for land, uh, sold and had that, um, but then they lied about it. Uh, right before that is where we were in Acts chapter 4, where you have everybody had everything in common, they're taking care of each other, and then who is mentioned specifically as doing it correctly? Right there at the end of Acts chapter 4. Who gets named specifically as being a, an encourager? Barnabas. Barnabas was giving and selling, and that's where his name comes from. You have from Joseph um, up to uh, Barnabas because he was an encourager. And then the, the story flips, and you've got the negative. You've got Ananias and Sapphira that did it incorrectly. But then you have loan, um, this principle of taking care of one another um, and extending that. And so there's four principles of how to make money just using Scripture. Um, and I encourage you to go dig into that a little bit more and think about it. Now, last thing that I want to go through is we'll finish up um, for the day. Just putting together our logic of how we see the world. Um, all these dilemmas and scenarios that we may bring up in the workplace, it's all built on our relationship to God. And here's some things for us to think about. The world is intrinsically good. Stop and consider that for a moment. God created the world. He created it for man to tend and take care of. But when God created the world, he created it. It's by the designer's hand. God is the owner of the world. He's above it, and he owns it. And when he's ready to claim it, he'll take it away. Human beings are stewards of God's world. He put man in the midst of the garden to do what? To tend it, take care of it. Even outside of the garden, God said, it still applies, it's just going to be a little more difficult. Humans are to have dominion over the earth. The earth is not to have dominion over us. In Romans chapter 1, you find what happens when the world has dominion over man. The world becomes a god. Men create gods to look like the world, animals and birds and beasts. God created humans to be social and communal. We're meant to be together, take care of one another, uh, bind together in our relationships, in our marriages, all that, all that comes together. We know that we're social and communal. Work is good, 
but it was challenged by sin. We've always had to work. Even when they were in the garden in the lap of luxury, Adam still worked. But when he's cast out of the garden, he's still working, but now there's thorns and thistles. Um, his garden was really good, and then now we see the, the effects of what the garden looks like. Humans are responsible for supporting themselves and their families. We don't get off the hook. We're supposed to provide. When I committed to marrying Shelby, I committed to providing for her, but then her children, our children and their children and so forth and so forth, that's what we've established. But I also provide for my family. We have a responsibility to our parents, whatever that may be. The community is responsible for taking care of the poor. There are people in this world, by whatever condition or situation or decision, have had a, a bad run-in with possessions. Those that are poor in this world, although they have made bad decisions, we are there to help them. Um, and we have that opportunity. Um, even in the old law, you find this principle. And it all comes down to this. Because of all these things, you sandwich them together. Humans are to be ethical towards one another in business. Because of how we respond just from the garden and onward, what God established to where we are now, we have a responsibility to one another. That's why we don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't deceive. We don't try and do things incorrectly. We want to do what God designed. This goes back to Genesis, and it has been the biblical mandate um, of how to be an ethical person in our businesses and in our operations with one another. So I appreciate you guys. Like I said, I won't be in here next week, but I have enjoyed this. Uh, thank you for being here, and thank you for the discussion.